0: You're listening to Clearing the Haze, episode number five. I know my employee is high, so why is the drug test coming back clean? here on Clearing the Haze, we are going to bring guests to the podcast. They're going to be able to bring content and information on today's hot-button issues that we're all dealing with in today's workplace. Today, we're going to be talking to Keith Graves of GravesAndAssociates.com. Now, Keith is a retired police sergeant and worked in the San Francisco Bay Area for 29 years. He was named California's Narcotics Officer of the Year and is a prior winner of MADS California Hero Award. He has years of experience as a narcotics detective and a narcotics unit supervisor and as a drug recognition expert instructor. Keith teaches both the DRE course and drug abuse recognition course. And today, Keith is here to speak with us about the growing problem of synthetic drugs in the workplace and how we can better understand and realize that it just isn't traditional illegal drugs that we're looking for in the workplace. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. And with that, we'll get into this interview with Keith guest with us, uh, Mr. Keith Graves. Keith is a uh, retired police officer and DRE, and uh, he'll talk to you a little bit about that and some of his background and training, but we felt it was very um, productive at this point to have an expert in that could talk to us about some other things in the workplace that we need to look for. We've talked about drugs, we talked about uh, workplace policies and procedures, but there's other things that individuals that that work in our workplaces can get to and they can come into the workplace. And and if you're not trained to recognize and identify these things, or even know that they're out there, it's going to be really hard for you to be able to know that that is what is going on. Uh, Just from our experience, we did have one company that had guys that were on probation and they knew that this company was testing for marijuana. They were coming to work high every day and uh, we were doing the drug testing and and nothing would, would come up. So we asked if we could go ahead and test for SPICE. We had to educate them on what SPICE was. And I'm not going to steal from Keith's thunder. He's going to talk about that here in just a minute. But uh, we did a rapid screen with that. And lo and behold, these guys were coming back with SPICE. And the reason they chose to do that is they knew that their employer was not testing for that. They could still get high or have a high that was similar to what they were wanting. And so they just substituted. But with that, I'm going to have Keith uh, do a quick introduction to, for himself, and then we'll go right into our interview today with Keith on talking about synthetic drugs, and we're going to talk a little bit about fentanyl as well. Um, so, Keith, thanks for being here, my brother. Hey,
1: thanks, Chuck. I appreciate Good to have it. Have
0: you here? Yeah, it's nice to be here.
1: Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned um, people. Uh, you know, in, in your in in that group taking Spice, uh, I mentor veterans up in Idaho that are going through drug court and so my my one of my mentors he's an iraq war veteran has a methamphetamine problem we're in a group setting there's about 20 people there and the drug counselor asked uh who's used spice every single person raised their hands except for two wow and when asked why everyone said because i'm on probation across the board i was shocked at how many it was i mean it you know uh You mentioned I'm a drug recognition expert. Well, I was a cop for 29 years, as you know, and I would run across people all the time out on the street that are on probation and parole, or were working for a company that did drug testing. And, you know, I would see that they're under the influence, but they didn't present like a, like a regular, you know, what you would expect for whatever drug you're looking for. And a lot of people are taking these other synthetic drugs to avoid their drug test. You know, that's one of the main reasons why they're doing it. Uh, in fact, there's some studies coming out now to show that that's why people are switching over to synthetic drugs. You know, you, you'll you'll still have you know all the like all the drugs that the DOT tests for, right? Um, you'll still always have those drugs, but the synthetic drugs we're coming out with one new synthetic drug every week is coming new to the market. How can you keep up with that?
0: Well, yeah, it, what? So. What's the attraction for an employee to do that? I think you, you hit a little bit on that, was is obviously the drug testing, but um, you know traditionally we're hearing a lot of stuff about people with prescription drugs and, and abusing drugs for prescriptions. And a lot of times we have employers that don't stay on top of that as well because, well, hey, they just got it from your doctor, so it must be all right. Not realizing that people use and abuse that as well and become addicted to painkillers. I mean, we're seeing that with Oxycontin mm-hmm. and Oxycodone and yeah. all these opiates, but... In in your experience with what you've been doing, um, especially with being a DRE and stuff, what do you think is the attraction for these guys or why would they choose to go to that that route?
1: Because you can still get high and not go to jail and not lose your job that you've worked so hard to get. That's that's the main reason. That's it. Uh, you know, the other thing, it's easy too. Sorry. So let's look at the drugs that people use to avoid drug testing, right? So we, we talked about spice, right? So if you're a marijuana user and your company tests for marijuana, well, you can switch out and now use, uh, we call it spice. That's a slang term, but a synthetic cannabinoid. And these have strange names like JWH-200 or AB Fubinaca. It's just, uh, you know, you know there, there's several hundred different formulations. Uh, these formulations, though, uh, affect cannabinoid receptor sites in the brain. So by saying that they're, a synthetic cannabinoid, I, I kind of disagree with it because when you evaluate somebody under the influence, you're actually looking at drug impairment. They don't look like they're under the influence of cannabis. They actually look like they're under the influence of a stimulant and a hallucinogen combined, is what it what it looks like to me. Uh, sometimes more like a dissociative anesthetic, like how you would imagine, like PCP or something like that. Uh, so when I evaluate them and I'm looking at drug impairment, they do not look like they're under the influence of cannabis. But people are going to take those drugs because they think that it's going to be a good replacement for marijuana. But in in reality, it's 100 times as potent as THC. So when you look at marijuana, it causes anxiety and paranoia. OK, well, if it's low THC, your, your paranoia and your anxiety isn't that great. But multiply that anxiety and that paranoia by 100. What would that paranoia and anxiety look like? when you have them in front of you. It would be exponential, right? Um, you know, let's say I'm using coke or meth. We had one guy, uh, he was on parole, and he uh, he was actually working for a, a, a big trucking company too. Uh, he was, we the cops would stop him, he always looked high. They would arrest him for being under the influence of a drug, which they thought was meth, and he'd come up negative every time. So when I heard the cops stop and went, my officer stop him, I rolled over there and I evaluated him and he did look exactly like he was under the influence of, you know, a stimulant like meth or cocaine or something like that. But he came back negative. So I resubmitted to the lab and it turns out he was doing bath salts and bath salts are actually called synthetic cathinones. They could be, you know, like a um, mephedrone, MDPV or, you know, alpha PVP, all these weird chemical names. Right. Um uh, and it turns out that's what he was using. And that's why he was coming up clean all the time because he was using those drugs that people aren't testing for. You know, and the other thing, too, is, you know, when you when uh, you know, think about it, if. If I go, you know, let's use like where I'm from California, I worked in the San Francisco Bay Area. I can go to Oakland and go buy some cocaine, but I risk getting robbed. I risk, you know, getting hurt. Um, I risk getting arrested. I could be, you know, beginning arrested by the cops that are selling fake drugs to get people or, you know, all these different things that can happen. Right. Or I can go online, go on the dark net. You can even open it on the uh, go look on the open web. You know, most of you are probably sitting at your computer right now. Just go, go do a Google search for mephedrone, M-E-P-H-E-D-R-O-N-E, mephedrone for sale and look at all the people selling on the open web. And you can just order it and have it sent to your house, and you don't have to worry about getting robbed. You don't have to worry about getting ripped off. Uh, you don't have to worry about getting shot. You don't have to worry about all these other uh, issues that might come up when you go and buy drugs. So the internet's the new street corner dealer. So it's easier to go buy those drugs, right? Yep. yep. And, you know, and and it doesn't make sense. Like like DOT, I hate how they do the, the how they pick their drugs for drug testing. They are like, as an example. They still test for PCP. Yes, I know people use PCP, okay? But the 70s want their PCP test back. There's nobody (laughs) using PCP like that anymore. And why are we wasting money testing people for that, right? The people that use PCP don't have a job for the most part, you know, and aren't going to get tested in the workplace. And even still, when you look at like, uh, you know, uh, when when you look at like methamphetamine, you know, Chuck, you were a DRE, you know, when you arrest somebody, you say they're under the influence of a stimulant. They give them a drug test, and they'll come back positive for meth or coke or whatever stimulant you pick. Well, what's the cutoff level now for uh, for methamphetamine? I think it's like five hundred nanograms. Yeah, is I that least, what it is? I believe yeah, so. Five hundred yeah. nanograms per milliliter. But when I arrest people for being under the in, for dy DUI, DUI dy thousand thousand oh, nanograms. Yeah. I thought they lowered it to five hundred. Anyways, it so might be. yeah, so. Let's say it was even 500, which is lower than that 1,000, right?
0: Yeah.
1: I would get people on quantitative testing that would come back positive at 100 nanograms per milliliter that I arrested for DUI because I felt they were unsafe to drive a motor vehicle. Yeah. But they would have passed their workplace drug testing.
0: See, and that's that's you that's see? insane, and that's uh, one of the big reasons why I've got you on here is that I, I think a lot of times with employers they're becoming frustrated because they're seeing exactly what you're saying. And mm-hmm. that we saw as police officers, you'd, you'd pull somebody over, you start looking at them and you're automatically thinking, okay, I've got methamphetamine and some sort of a stimulant here that I'm dealing with. You go through the whole thing. You send in the test results and it comes back negative. Yeah. And you know, and you're not, guy, you but know you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong. It's just, they didn't test for the right drug. Exactly. Because we didn't, yeah. we didn't have that knowledge or that <clears> understanding. So, I, I think that's probably one of the biggest things as an employer that's going to be hard for them. And, and I'm hoping that, that with your expertise in this, that you might have something that would help an employer to identify a designer drug or synthetic drug, whatever we're wanting to call them, uh, compared to methamphetamine or something like that. How's, what's the best way to help an employer be able to identify and know, you know we're dealing with a designer drug? Or a synthetic drug? Or is it just that, you know, you're dealing with a stimulant, just don't dismiss that it could be a designer drug as well?
1: Well, look, if a lot of times, I, I remember when I was a young cop, before I got trained in drug impairment, I would look at somebody and go, are they crazy? High? Are they tired? Like, what's going on? Right? Yeah. And, you know, we get training in the police academy on drug impairment and, you know, in different drugs. But, I mean, I, it, it wasn't enough. It was only uh, 16 hours, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, 16 hours, you know, you can't really learn a whole lot. But we're giving supervisors two hours and expecting them to keep the company safe. Look, man, that's not enough. You know, uh, you know, what it comes down to is like you need drug impairment training. You know, that's that's how you figure it out, right? Because you need to know the signs and symptoms of drug impairment and not like all right, you know, like DOT, the 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 supervisor training, most of that's taken up by, um, you know, rules and regulations about what you can and can't do, and then you have an hour of alcohol, which everybody already knows alcohol for the most part, and then how much time does that leave for drugs? And then even with that, you don't give, yeah, nothing, and then you don't give them the time, you know, that they need, you know, you don't give them a system to determine drug impairment, and you know, look, I, like when when I do. My classes, I teach a seven-step drug impairment method. And, you know, you know what a lot of these are. It's, you know, checking for a lot of, a majority of them are eye signs. Well, you check for those eye signs and you can see that there's impairment and you send them away for reasonable suspicion testing and they come back negative. Well, it's a synthetic drug. You weren't wrong. You were right. They're just using a drug to cheat the system. They're,
0: They're masking it. Yep.
1: Exactly. And you just have to find out what drug that is. Now, look, when you're talking about one drug, new one new drug coming out every week, you are not going to keep up with which drugs those are. As an example, the last two, the last two weeks, they were both opioids. That uh, They're not fentanyl, but they are like fentanyl, right? Uh, there's nobody that's going to test for that. There's no test out for it yet. But somebody that's addicted to pain pills or, you know, addicted to opioids... And they don't want to come up positive. They're going to take one of those drugs because they know they're going to come up clean. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see that they're high. Look, how you tell they're under the influence of an opioid? They're going to have constricted pupils. Now, look, there's some medical causes for constricted pupils, but they're rare, and it usually only affects one pupil. It doesn't affect both, right? <laughs> exactly. So you've got a guy sitting there, standing, talking to you, and it's somewhat dark, and his pupils are look like little pencil dots. Okay, that's more than likely that's going to be an opioid. That's the only there's 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 eight drug categories, seven if you take out alcohol, okay? Every drug can go in a category. Right there, there's only one drug category that causes constricted pupils, and that's opioids. And so now you know that's what it is. So if you send them in for drug testing for reasonable suspicion, and it comes up negative because all you check for is heroin and you don't check for fentanyl, which boggles my mind, uh, because there's more more (laughs) people doing fentanyl, Than heroin, so he comes up with a negative test. Well, now you would send it back, and you would start checking for these synthetic opioids like fentanyl or methadone or something like that to see what they're going to come up positive for. And I mean, again, you were correct to send them off. It's just look, the drug testing only tells you what drugs they used. It doesn't tell you what they're what they're high on right now, right? You know, so drug testing are going to show that they did drugs, but only the ones that you're checking for. Yeah. So you're letting the rest go away. Drug impairment training will show you to detect drug impairment right now. That drug test is just confirmation that you were correct. If it doesn't come back with anything, well, you're not testing for the right things, and you just send it back until it comes back positive for what you're looking for.
0: Well, and I think that's amazing, Keith, because I, I think you're probably in the same camp that I am Is when I was a DRE and I was an officer, we were going out and doing our thing, uh, mainly doing you know, traffic stops, stuff like that. You may get called into a school once a while. We hardly ever got called into a workplace to go and see somebody uh, because they thought they were high. And, and I think a lot of that is like what you were just saying a minute ago. They didn't know what to look for. It yeah. wasn't obvious to them. Uh, and some of this stuff is going to be obvious uh, when you've been trained. And we found that out when we started teaching school teachers and nurses Mm -hmm. a system similar to the DRE program, and they started catching kids coming to school high. How hard do you think it's going to be, because we're already in in DOT safety-sensitive positions, we're already giving them, like you talked about earlier, the two-hour reasonable suspicion. And obviously, you and I are in the same agreement. It's just not enough. You're just barely touching the basis of it. How hard do you think it's going to be to go to somebody like Dave who's in a warehouse that he's got 15 guys that he's responsible for on a third shift and he's having accidents and he has people that's coming to him and saying, hey, I think this guy's high. How hard is it going to be to take that training and that relevancy that we've had before and teach Dave, just your ordinary guy, how to detect this stuff in the workplace to cause the workplace to be safe?
1: So it's easy to train people, right? I'll give you an example. Both my kids, my kids are drug free. One's twenty three; he just got hired by a sheriff's department here in Idaho. And my, awesome. uh, I know, right? I'm so proud of him. My <laughs> daughter's, uh, my daughter's going to university. Uh, in primary education. Uh, they are both open about what worked and what didn't work about teaching about drugs. When they are in high school, when they were freshmen, it was mandatory that you had to come to my uh, drug impairment training course, <laughs> right? Because I want them to learn about drugs for me yeah. and not from somebody else, right? Yeah. So uh, my son went to the eight hour and my daughter went to the full 24 hour course. Wow. My daughter was 14 and got certified as a drug abuse recognition specialist. Uh, she was the youngest in America to ever get certified. Wow. And uh, she got one of the highest scores in class. And she identifies high people all the time when we walk down the street. Oh, that guy's high. He's on the stimulant. Oh, that guy, he's high. He's on a narcotic analgesic. My son, same way, right? My son got hit by a DUI driver. He got broadsided in Boise. And uh, he recognized right away that she was impaired. And so he did, you know, you remember what it's called. It's nystagmus. And it's where the cops on the side of the road, they move their finger back and forth across your eyes. And they're looking for jerkiness. And, he, and he's like, hey, do you mind looking at my finger here? Follow with, my, uh, follow with your eyes. Keep your head still. And he sees nystagmus. So he looks in the car and he sees pill bottles everywhere. Well, Chuck, you and I both know that nystagmus is going to be seen in depressants, inhalants, and dissociative anesthetics. With pills laying around the car, it's a dissociative, or it's a depressant drug, right? Yep. So my son, with eight hours of training, was able, and, and he took that five years before the crash, was able to identify that she was under the influence of a depressant. When the cops showed up, and I'm going to burn them. He, uh, you know, my son's like, Hey, she's DUI drugs. And he's like, well, how do you know? Well, she's got nystagmus and, you know, there's pills down there and there's no odor of alcohol. So, you know, these are the drugs that cause nystagmus and, and I can teach you nystagmus in 15 minutes. Okay. And the cop goes, oh, and he looks at my son's license and goes, Graves, hey, is your dad a DRE? And he goes, yes. Hey, I took his (laughs) training class. You know, my son's like, all right. No, they didn't arrest her. They let her go. (laughs) Which is disappointing because she needed to go to jail because she caused a DUI collision. But my point is, in 15 minutes, we can teach you nystagmus. If my my 14-year-old daughter can do it and identify drug-impaired people, then Joe at the warehouse can learn how to do it. All we need is four hours. In four hours— we can, te- we can give you an end that would cover, you know, your alcohol, It'd be all DOT, cover all the DOT regulations. In four hours, you can train somebody to check for nystagmus and narrow it down to one of four drug categories. You know, you can nail down and you know how it is with nystagmus. We teach that jerkiness of the eyes going back and forth. You can actually uh, tell what their BAC level is if it's alcohol only. And then you confirm that down, you know, by looking at what the angle of onset and doing a mathematical formula and it'll tell you what their BAC is. It's a great program. If I can teach you that in 15 minutes, I mean, bare bones, we're just gonna teach you how to do it. You're well on your way to determining these, you know, what, what it is they're in the influence of. You know, look, people are using drugs that are not on your panel. That's what they're gonna use. That's why everybody's coming up clean. The only way you're gonna catch those people is by doing a drug influence examination, by doing looking for drug impairment and then narrowing it down to a category and then testing for the drugs within that category. So, look, for people, people in the workplace want to know, like all the time, how do I prove drug impairment? Well, cops have been doing it for 50 years. We've all, all the way up to the Supreme Court. We're rock solid. We have all the studies behind us to yeah. show it.
0: Isn't that amazing? And you've got probably copies of your reports. We've got the documentation. We have the lab results. We have all this evidence okay. that what you're talking about right now is true and can be taught. So why isn't it?
1: Because, uh, I, you know, it's funny. So, I te- you, you know, I teach drug impairment training to workplaces. My biggest customers, my biggest clients are outside of the United States. We're in Europe, we're in Australia, Asia, we're in Canada.
0: What do you think? And I have just a few.
1: Well, I have just a few in America, in the United States. And I tell you why is because it seems like people are are afraid in America. And I don't know why they're afraid. uh, Let me give you an example. When I start a drug impairment class, the very first picture I show is of a little girl on a bike. And I said, we're here for this little girl. And I'll never forget it. There was uh, there was a guy that killed a little girl named Maddie. He uh, He was driving a work vehicle. He's subject to drug testing and he crossed over the double yellow line and killed Maddie. She was a passenger in her mom's car. To tell you how screwed up this is, that was 25 years ago and I remember it like it was yesterday. I arrested the guy for DUI drugs. He was using phenobarbital and he was popping it like crazy. He was very high. One of the tests that we do, we have him estimate 30 seconds. At 90 seconds, I had to wake him up because he had fallen asleep. A normal pulse range is 60 to 90 beats per minute. So 60 is on the low end. He saw her decapitated and his pulse was 50 beats a minute. To tell you how high this guy was, okay? What makes me mad is when somebody dies, we go 24 hours over the life of the person that caused the collision. So the first place I go is where he started at work driving the company vehicle. Everybody at work identified that this guy was impaired, that he looked like he was high. But they had sent him away for testing and he came back clear. Hmm. And they were all afraid because they didn't want to, you know, keep having these bad tests come up, right? Well, they weren't bad tests. They weren't testing for the right thing. And the problem is nobody had the balls to stop this guy. Well, could training have saved Maddie's life? I think so, absolutely. And I've seen that since then. I've had another case just like that, where uh, a guy killed a a truck driver high on meth, killed a uh, a guy just going to work. And same thing, people at work should have known that that guy was high and should have stopped him. So when you look at the lawsuits that came out of that, when I went and testified in the civil suits, What was the first thing I said? Absolutely, everybody at work should have known he was high. Look at this video of when I contacted him. He would have been worse when he was back at work.
0: Wow.
1: Right? And I burned him. And I burned him because it's the truth. I'm in court, I'm not gonna lie. And I go back and like, everybody should have known this guy was high. But they let him drive and now this person's dead. How much are they gonna break out on that checkbook? It's just how many zeros are gonna be at the end of that check that they're gonna write. So, when you talk about that training, four hours, you're talking about adding two hours more. Are you kidding me? And then, you know, DOT's got to have some balls too. You know, they got to come out and start checking for the right drugs. Like PCP, why is PCP on the panel? I mean, it is on the panel, right?
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's still, still on, on the there? panel. You know, it, it, and it amazes me as well. I, I, how many, well, you were out in, in the San Francisco area, so you probably saw PCP a lot more than, than I ever yes. did. I never saw PCP influence until I was out in California. We just yeah. it's not a drug that's here in, in, in the Colorado where I'm at, but the, it's state specific. You have certain places yes. where you're gonna have that use. But look, I agree with you, you're not gonna see PCP in a in a DOT panel and if you have it's gonna be very rare. Look, let's
1: let's put it this way. How many people are doing PCP compared to compared to um, fentanyl? Oh, Right. You know, and here's the other thing. All right. So let's talk about let's go back to synthetics for a minute. So let's say I do PCP, but I don't want to come back with a positive test. You do TCP. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the letter T and then CP. It's it's a it's an analog or a chemical cousin of PCP. But it is twice as potent as PCP. So I can get a more intense high and come back clean on all my drug tests. Well, why would I do PCP? It doesn't make sense, right? You know, I I mean, it it just, it, 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 and look, I, all right. So my jury pool was Oakland and Berkeley to give you the idea of where (laughs) I was at. Okay. (laughs) Which is why I live in Idaho now. Um, All right. So when you look at the people that I contact on a daily basis, the people that I encountered on PCP, I've got maybe 20 evaluations over a 29 year career. You know, so 20 people high on PCP over, over 29 years. It's not, it, 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 I don't understand what they're doing. Look, synthetic drugs are taking over the market. Okay. 10% of people buy their drugs on the internet. Okay. They're not buying heroin and, you know, uh, cocaine and meth. I mean, there might be a small fraction buying that, but they're buying instead of LSD, they're buying in bomb. It's the exact same thing. All right. LSD is a synthetic hallucinogen. You get high, you see pink elephants walking down the street. N-bomb is the same thing, but you're adding like some methamphetamine to it. Right. And, you know, essentially it's the same, you know, same type of high. Heroin. Everybody's going to fentanyl. It boggles my mind that we're not testing for fentanyl. But here's the thing, going back to drug, drug impairment is the key. Okay, Fentanyl influence is the same as heroin influence. It looks exactly the same, but fentanyl feels so much better. So why would I do heroin? I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to fail my drug tests. It's going to cause me all these problems where I can go to fentanyl. And I've arrested people for being high on fentanyl at work. I can't tell how many times I went into somebody's workplace. And this is how I got the idea to do all this stuff is all the times I'm going to people's workplaces and hooking them up on warrants or whatever. Or, um, you know, people high on, on drugs and killing people, you know, driving company vehicles. I arrested one of my own city workers for being high driving a city vehicle. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Right. And I remember when, when I so you know how it is in the, I know exactly how it is in the workplace. We have a guy that's in, in the city I worked in. He was a department head. He is like, what, like chief of police, but for his department, I had heard he was doing methamphetamine. And I heard he was drinking. And so I saw him driving a company vehicle, driving a city vehicle. I pulled him over, pulled him out. He's got meth. He's drunk. He tested positive for cocaine on top of that. And everybody works like, oh my God, I can't believe that he did this. I'm like, really? Because I've had one encounter with him and it's this stop right here. And how can you not tell that he's not high and drunk? You know, you're choosing to ignore the signs and symptoms. Or, you know, the other thing too is... I shouldn't say you're ignoring. Sometimes you just don't
0: know. Do you think I it's mean, hard I mean, for people to even comprehend that somebody would come to work like that? I think that's part yeah, right. of it is that they think that the 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 way that you were brought up, that you're going to have some ethics when you come to work, that you're there to do a job. I'm paying you to do a job. I think that's probably one of those things that these guys just – they can't comprehend that somebody would even come to work like that. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget, like, I shouldn't be so harsh about not noticing, right? Well, I'll give you an example. I made a car stop when I was a brand new cop. I was still on probation. I didn't know what I was doing. But I saw this guy. He looked bad. So I pulled him over, but I don't know what to do. I mean, I'm brand new, right?
0: <laughs> and I made
1: contact with him. And I look at him, and I'm like, something's wrong with this guy. Is he high? Is he crazy? Is he drunk? Like, so I take him out of the car, you know? And next thing I know, four undercover cars roll up and they all jump out. It's DEA. They're following this guy. and I'm like, they're like, Hey, uh, have you found anything yet? Nope. I'm still looking. (laughs) I had no idea. I guess I should go search this guy's car and go look at everything. Right. So I searched the car, find like a, just a huge amount of drugs that I, to this day, I still haven't found as much, you know? And, uh, you know, totally like just I went in this blind. I don't know if I would have searched this car before DEA showed up. I didn't know what I was doing. And so uh, the DEA agent goes, well, he's high too. You're going to do it for DUI? Yes. Why, yes, I am. I am going to arrest him for being high. I didn't know he was high. I couldn't tell what was going on. I called my sergeant up and I'm like, I think this guy's high, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And the best thing for the sergeant is like, I don't know either. What do you think we should do? I don't know, dude, but you got like 15 years on. I've only been here for like a month. So I need somebody to hold my hand. <laughs> so our supervisors were sending them out there with two hours of training. I had 16. Okay. Yeah. Now oh, shit, I was 21 years old. Okay. <laughs> the only life experience I had was the army. Yeah. Um, you know, we're sending these, these supervisors out and having to make these decisions to keep the company safe and free from liability. It's not going to work. You know, you need to give them four hours of training at a minimum. Really, it should be eight, but four hours. You know, what well, on a settlement for one company that I hammered in court was that they had uh, they they asked me in court, "What do you think they should have?" And I said they should have eight hours of drug training. And then that's what they stipulated in court is that every supervisor had to have eight hours of training. Wow. And they paid they paid a lot of zeros at the end of that check and had to do the eight hours of training. So what's better off doing the eight hours, you know, four hours or eight hours? Yeah. Or is it, you know, what, what, what do you want to do? And look, it's going to cost a lot of money. This training's not cheap. There's not many people doing it, but we know everybody's doing drugs other than what you're testing for. Right. You know, so depressant pills, let's say you're checking for Xanax in your company in which I hope people are checking for Xanax because like, that's like one of the number one depressant drugs that people are abusing right now. Um, so let's say your company tests for Xanax. Well, shit, I use Xanax. Oh, sorry, now you have to put the explicit tag on there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, You're all So
0: right, man. shoot,
1: I test for, you know, I, I that, my company tests for Xanax. I'm going to use Etazolam, Flubromazolam, or Clonazolam, which is total synthetic drugs that just came out in the last year that nobody's testing for, but I can get high just like if I was on Xanax, and the best part is they aren't illegal. Yeah. So I can order them on the open web, I can have them delivered to my house, I can get high, give a pee test, and still come back clean. So there's no risk of arrest, there's, I can get a stronger high. You know, why wouldn't you switch? Yeah. You know, uh, if if you're using uh, heroin, we know fentanyl, right? Yep. So let's say you test for fentanyl. Awesome. I'm going to switch to U47-700. U47-700 has a slang name called pink. It's already killed like 60 people in the United States. So the DEA put it in Schedule 1. The very next day came out U48-800. When that got outlawed, then it was U49-900. Now they're at U10-235. Wow.
0: So and they so just keep it, the whole thing and, and coming out with a different formulation to <laughs> keep ahead of everybody else is what they're actually doing.
1: <clears throat> That's correct. All they have to do is because our Controlled Substance Act is so antiquated. All I got to do is change the molecular structure slightly, and now it's legal. Now it may fall under the analog law, but like nobody's prosecuting that, so you're you're clear, <laughs>
0: right? Yeah.
1: You know so. Um, you know, nothing's, nothing's going to happen. You know, there's, there's no risk and I'm going to come up clean on my test for whether it's court mandated, whether it's work related, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, you know, it was funny on nine 11, I got sent to uh, I was on a SWAT team and I got sent to a government facility that does uh, nuclear weapons research and you got to have a top secret clearance or above to work there. And when we were out there, you know, we thought we didn't know what was going on. And so I'm standing out there in my SWAT uniform outside the SWAT vehicle and the workers are going home now. (laughs) And I remember seeing three guys coming out and they were high. So I stopped them and like we had nothing going on. And so I started um, I started jacking them up like, hey, you guys are high. You're coming out of work. You're working in a government facility. Come have a seat. And they were all high on a stimulant. And so I called the internal security force for that place. And nobody had an idea what to do. And I'm like, well, don't you have drug testing? I mean, like I can arrest them. Yeah, could you arrest them and just send us the report? I'm like, okay, I I can do that. But like, you know, planes are crashing into, uh, into buildings. Why don't you guys just like send them in for drug testing and fire them?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I mean, but people didn't know what to do. And how long have they been working in this government facility? Like you know, that. when they have, drug man, they have mandated drug testing there. But, you know, and I remember conversing with these guys, and they were saying, yeah, you know, we use, I can't remember what, what drug they were using, but they were using another drug that just doesn't come up positive.
0: Wow. And I think that's the most important thing that we've been talking about is that this could be easily remedied just by giving some training. Yeah, it's going to take time, yeah. so it's going to take a little bit of money. But is that investment that you're making in that supervisor, that owner of the company, what's the payoff in the end? It may help that owner of that company be able to still have a company and not lose everything that they work for overnight. Like you and I are both entrepreneurs now. We have our own businesses, employees, stuff like that. So we understand that. I mean, even with the business that I have, I still have people come in here to be a, a technician and they're like, so I have to pass a drug test? Yeah, that's what we do. Uh, so that even amazes me. But I think the other thing too is, like I talked about in my last episode on, on clearing the haze, was is how important our policies and procedures are. And a lot of these guys don't even know what it is that they can do. You know, well, so
1: you know, and the other thing with training too is it's got to be ongoing. Right. You know, I, I think that every year you should get an update. Now that update doesn't have Richard to be. Training or yeah, it doesn't have to be a year. It could be honest or not a year, but it doesn't have to be, you know, four hours of training. The update training every year could just be an hour and it could be online. And it's like, these are the latest drug trends. These are the drugs that people are using. Or, yeah, one of the things that I love doing is I would give I would give talks in the community to parents about how to recognize if your kid's using drugs. It was a drug impairment for parents. And I would always bring in a drug dealer that was 18 years old. Wow. And he would come in and talk. And it was part of their, because, you know, they got to do community service. And that would be their community service. And they would come in and talk about how they dealt drugs to all their kids. And how they would hide it, use it, the drugs that they were using. And it was, you know, uh, and I always had them talk for about a half an hour. And just the look on people's faces. And I remember I was doing a workplace uh Education one time it was the four-hour drug impairment class
0: mm-hmm.
1: And while I was talking there was one guy in the back one supervisor just affirming everything. I said he just made a point of Like he's right. He's right. <laughs> and I was like, man, he's kind of going overboard on the he's right You know slow I break. I'm like, I'm like, hey, man, it sounds like you got some experience He's like I used to get high in this office every day He goes uh, they they realized I was doing drugs. They sent him off to drug rehab. He came back now He's evangelical about you know Uh, Stopping drug use in the workplace and he came up and talked about all the places. He would do drugs at that workplace Wow, and he would talk about smoking math in the supervisor's office or you know these different places And as he's talking I'm thinking like how did you guys not notice this? I mean how did how I mean he was telling me he was doing drugs for two years before anybody confronted him Wow, you know, and you know, how can you not know it's drug impairment? It's 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 like your kids you don't want to admit that your kids are doing drugs, right? And you notice you notice that there's something wrong with them and you want to say something, but you still want to have a relationship with them or whatever excuse is in your head. But we do this drug impairment training for parents and they immediately go home, confront their kids and our, our, vo- our call volume will increase slightly. It's like these parents go home and start <laughs> calling on their kids because they have now found drugs or what have you. Yeah.
0: So, so you so know, what would happen in a
1: workplace, right?
0: very true well Keith I want to wrap this up with you I know that we said 30 minutes and we're already over that time and I I appreciate your time and your willingness to come out with us today but I have uh, just a couple things I'd like to to ask first of all if people are wanting to get a hold of you what's the best way to get a hold of you and uh, put a plug in for your company and and how they can get a hold of you on uh, training issues or if they want further further information on uh, synthetic drugs and, and those things that you offer training in
1: so the best thing you can do is go to my website gravesassociates.com, G-R-A-V-E-S Associates, all one word.com. If you go there, there'll be a pop-up that'll say if you want to sign up for the drug training bulletin, I would or drug intelligence bulletin. Sign up for it. I send information out every two weeks about uh, current drug trends. Not going to spam you or anything like that. It's just just what the current drug trends are. Um, On my website, you can get contacts from my social media. You can email me. You can do whatever you need to do um, for training that we offer. Um, It's all there. You can also see our online training. You can go to onlinetraining.gravesassociates.com and see our online stuff as well.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Keith. And one last question that I want to ask you. Every one of us is, is entrepreneurs, business leaders, or each one of us. I find that we are continually educating ourselves. We're continually Reading, we're continually doing things. So I'm just asking you a question out of curiosity: What is it that Keith Graves is reading right now that you would you would recommend to somebody else and say this book will change your life or the way you look at things? What book would that be?
1: So uh, right now uh, I'm t- I, I read I read a professional book and then I read for pleasure. Right now I'm reading Acts in the Bible, okay. <laughs> but. Okay, yeah, but outside that. of that, but I got to <laughs> tell you, uh, the best thing—the best thing that I'm doing right now is I'm following. Um, I'm, i I I I, I follow several different drug bulletins that come out, so they could be like, um, uh, like right now I belong to a private one where it's actually I got onto it, it's all toxicologists and they're talking about all the vaping trends and why people are dying from vaping, and where it's coming from is it's oil building up in their lungs. It's you know so they inhale it. The oil cools, solidifies in their lungs, and then they suffocate and die. And so I'm getting more out of those little groups for my reading right now. That's where I'm getting my most information is those little groups. So if you go to like Drug Free America, you go to my drug training bulletin, um, all these little bulletins that come out, you might get like five in a week. If you just take a half an hour to read through
0: those, you'll get
1: the most information you ever need about drugs and drug trends.
0: Wow, that's incredible. That's a good one. I'll have to look at that one. But yeah, the the vaping that in and of itself is going to be another podcast episode. <laughs> that I'm thinking too. So yes, it is. Uh, hey, Keith, I want to thank you for your time. I appreciate it, and I know our listeners do as well. A um, lot of good information, and I, you know, drug testing in, in, a, in today's workplace is something that's just going to continue to happen. Education, teaching people how to protect themselves, their employees, and their clients, community is something that's just going to be an ongoing thing, and. Uh, I appreciate everything that you're doing. You're, you're doing the same thing that we are, trying to make a difference and trying to help those out there that are they're trying to accomplish the same thing, and that's to make sure that we're all safe. We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Clearing the Haze. We would love to hear from you guys and understand what else that we can bring to you that are hot-button issues that you want to learn more about. Please email us at helpclearthehaze@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Again, that's helpclearthehaze at gmail.com again thanks for listening and remember it's your vision it's your dream and it's your business take care